All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. I'm your host, Andy Little, here with three amazing guests, three of the podcasting fellows from Emrecast, and we're going to let them go around the table and introduce themselves. All right. Hey, I'm Ranjita Raghavan. I'm a PGY3, soon to be PGY4, at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, and I'm so excited to be here. I love emergency medicine. I love podcasting and all the things. My name is Shrey. I am one of the PGY3s soon to be in attending. Oh my God, I'm so terrified. (laughs) From Long Island, New York, soon to be a transplant to Houston, Texas for a medical education fellowship. Hi, I'm Kim Bombach. I'm a med ed fellow at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. I had to throw that in there. have to say the. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm downright evangelical about emergency medicine, so super excited to be here. I wanted to bring everybody on because we, in 2018, we ran a series called YEM where we brought on guests and we talked about why EM is a great specialty. And in the setting of fast forward four years, now we've had two years of a pandemic that all of you have trained through. Unfortunately, if you look on social media, there are people leaving our, our profession and the pandemic has been kind of the push. And so we, as the hosts of EM Over Easy, wanted to reemphasize why we think EM is still a great place to be and still the best practice in the world. So we wanted to bring on people to talk about that. So when I ask you the question, why emergency medicine? And I'm sure you've been asked this before. And I imagine during the pandemic, you've been asked a dozen more times, like, why do you still do what you do? What's your answer to the question? Why emergency medicine? I'm happy to kick it off. So EM is the most exciting 15 minutes of every specialty. There's no patient population you ever have to give up. I found that really difficult. When I went to medical school and I was doing rotations, I tried to come in with an open mind of, you know, could I do the specialty? And at the end of the day, I never wanted to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to see an OB patient. I'm not going to see a kid. I'm not going to see an older adult. Um, So being able to have that just richness and in terms of the breadth of uh, types of chief complaints, the types of patients, and to be there on their worst day. Like COVID burnout has been brutal. But at the end of the day, I am still finding these nuggets of warm interactions just sprinkled throughout my shift. You get to kind of meet people in their lowest point. And I just feel like it's a perfect, I feel like it's a perfect atmosphere for rich human connection, even though time is limited. And also because EM's a young specialty, there aren't laurels to rest on. So you are just welcomed in this community of growth-minded individuals who are early adopters of literature and evidence-based medicine and really engaged in innovation and doing exciting things and teaching. So there's just this warmth in the EM community that I feel like is ready to welcome you in when you join. It's so true. You can be on shift and be like, hey, let's try this thing. And you're like, people around you will be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's try it. Maybe maybe this is the time to do this. So it's really fun. And I feel like you brought up a point about meeting people at their lowest points and making human connections. And that really rings true. I know for all of us, it really reminds me of a story or a case I had um, just a week or two ago where I think we've all had the pregnant patient who comes in with vaginal bleeding and is found to have miscarried. Uh, and so I've had that patient many, many times and I have a spiel that I usually do with these patients. And she came in already knowing that she was miscarrying, but she needed to take the medication, see OB. 
Um, and so she'd seen a lot of providers. And before she was going, I'm, I had the whole spiel where I told her, hey, just so you know, this is not your fault. This happens to many, many women. They do not talk about it. But this, And I gave the spiel that I've given to so many people before. And she literally, she smiled. She was, she said, wow, that really means so much to me. I felt so bad for the past day. I thought I did this. And it was so great to make that impact on someone on their, their worst day that she was going to go home and think it was her fault. And I was able to let her know that it was not. So Mm -hmm. those kind of moments, powerful. Yeah. They really make a difference. Yeah. I don't know. Just kind of carrying back to what Kim was saying earlier in terms of COVID burnout. I, I really do think that my shifts, I've had to be a lot more intentional about being grateful for some of the things that I do see. You know, everybody has like their favorite chief complaint. And and for me, you know, my favorite type of patient is the heart failure exacerbation, because I just feel like you can turn them around so quickly, so easily now and not have to be so aggressive with intubation and things like that. So those quick and dirty pearls and, and, and pathologies that you get to see in the emergency department, I think are, are amazing. And it's kind of like what you were talking about the first 15 minutes of every field and, and the most exciting, I think, parts of every field, specifically when you have somebody come in with some sort of a surgical diagnosis or whatever it is. I want to be the person who finds it. I don't know if I really, really want to be the person who has to cater to all the details on the back end, but playing detective for those first 15 minutes is amazing. And being able to tell the patient, hey, this is what you are coming in with, and this is what you're complaining of. And and we have a reason why you're feeling the way that you feel. Honestly, EM should really take that tagline from you. When you said the best 15 minutes of every specialty, I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's really it. Oh man. The other thing I love, because I live in New York City and I take the subway a lot. And that's the time where I really remember how cool our specialty is because I get onto the subway and I look around and I think, wow, all of these people are people that I may have even interacted with or would interact with in the emergency department. And there's people that my friends in business or in other places would never interact with or speak to or anything like that. And I've had really interesting, cool conversations with people in the emergency department laughing about whatever it is, the hospital sushi or something like that with these with patients. And it's just a, such a cool feeling to look around at the eclectic mix of people and think I can interact with any of these people and find a common ground. H- hospital sushi sounds like a great way to end up back in the emergency yeah. department. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's right up there with the 7-Eleven sushi. You're like- <laughs> it's like one, one half step above maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and make a plug for Mount Sinai Hospital's hospital sushi. It is really good. I live on that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> it is actually quite good if you have to have a hospital sushi anywhere. One day Regina's going to call us and say, so I was diagnosed with this weird bacterial disease <laughs> that you only get from eating repeated doses of hospital sushi. Right. Only right. at Sinai. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll There's going to be some it. massive recall. Yeah. Regina syndrome or Regina. something like that. We'll have to have to name it after I'm you. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for something to be named after me. That's true. I love that you guys all highlight to me the high points of emergency medicine, some of the low points, like uh, the parts of the pandemic have been tough. There are weeks of the pandemic that I still have vivid memories of working between the ED and the ICU, where it was it was hard. I I, I tell friends that aren't in medicine that my beauty to death ratio went skewed the last two years. Yeah. Before that, you'd probably see a dying patient. Like actually see somebody die maybe three, four times, like five, six times a month. Enough of a regularity to where like, all right, so I had my bad code today. And then I had a bunch of people that were sick. I admitted them to the hospital, turned them around. And then COVID happened. And it went to five, four to five people a month to some four to five people a shift. 
four to five people um, a week. Like it just exponentially went up and it's not like I saw more non-sick people in that period of time. And so there were some rough weeks and months of, of the pandemic, but throughout all that, I found it very rewarding that I had the skills that were needed to take care of people truly in their darkest hour. Yeah, I think that was tough for me. And I think for some of my friends that I've spoken to, because during that time, it felt for me that I I couldn't help people and that I could not turn them around and they were going to come. And no matter what I did, they were just going to die. I mean, I worked in the COVID ICU in April in New York City and everyone who came through, I think they all, I felt like they all died, you know, and no matter what I did, it felt like they were going to die. And so I felt very jaded. And so I think that's where a lot of the people are feeling like they're leaving and the nursing and all these people who literally at the bedside watching them just die no matter what we do. So for me to work through that, definitely having my friends that were going through it and having that community. But also that's why I tried to highlight some of the things that you can do for people supporting them in their darkest moments. Like I was saying that that woman that lost the the, the babe, the miscarriage, you know, the same thing for the people who are family members. If you're not helping someone and they, you can't save them. I mean, you're going to try your best and maybe you'll turn around some COVID patients, but even if you can't, if you can help their loved ones and, and support them and, and make sure you're trying your best and that they know that they're, that their loved one is getting the best care they can. I think that can be the silver lining you can take away from maybe the patients that you can't help. And that kind of helped me when I was feeling like, what's the point? Everyone is probably going to die. It, it's like really funny that you mentioned how helpless you felt. I, I just have this one like really, really like, like crazy memory that that's been burned into me from the first wave. One of my best friends is an orthopedic resident in one of the city hospitals in New York. And I remember getting like a, a phone call on like a Tuesday morning. And he was just like, Shrey, I'm being, you know, basically like sequestered to the COVID ICUs. I, I don't know what to do here. I, you know, like I'm an orthopedic resident. I only deal with bones. Can you teach me how to wean vent settings? And I was just like, wow, like imagine as an emergency medicine physician, like we felt hopeless or helpless at that point. But like for some other specialties, it's like a complete like different scenario, different patients, different pathologies, things that you've never seen. And to me, honestly, it kind of made me feel a little more at peace with, you know, emergency medicine and and really just intensive medicine. Crick care and EM like really, really got a little bit of seven seconds of, of a spotlight during the first wave of COVID because you realize that I don't really think a lot of other specialties would have been able to just move to like a different part of the hospital, see different type of patients and pathologies the way that EM docs could. I mean, we went from the ICUs, then you can put us into urgent carriers, you can put us everywhere and, and we find a way to kind of thrive. I love the way you just said that we find a way to thrive. We are masters at adapting and molding ourselves to the situation. I mean, I've been in attending only for about six months and every single shift, I run into some new problem I haven't encountered and I don't see that slowing down anytime soon, but we always figure it out. We always find a way to rig something, to to find a solution for our patients. And I think it really speaks to the social mission of emergency medicine too. So I'm so proud of our specialty in this pandemic that we've risen to the occasion. And yes, there are patients who are sick and some patients, despite the best care, they're still going to pass away or going to have morbidity. But 
I feel like we always try and offer them something and there's such pride we can take in being open 24 seven, 365. We are the front door of the hospital. No matter who you are or what is going on, we are going to find some way to help you or at least make something better. Even if I can't fix the underlying problem, even if it's a social problem that is so multifaceted, I can connect you. I can offer you something. And I just think having being that place where the light is always on and we can offer you something just even if it's just a sandwich even if yeah. it's just a, <laughs> as even if it's just a sandwich a turkey sandwich definitely not hospital sushi would not offer that to any of my patients yeah. but <laughs> it's such, something to be proud of so if you had to give a pitch let's say a medical student decides hey i want to do emergency medicine why should i do it what's your elevator pitch for em i'll go around the table I'm going to revert back to my my first answer, which earlier on when we were talking, which is you get to be a part of the best 15 minutes of every specialty in emergency medicine. And you don't have to call a consultant if you don't want to. So you can manage the patient on your own. It's really only when you, you, you really do need to ask for help or you feel challenged enough that you need to escalate to a consultant. There are rural emergency physicians who do everything in their own shop and, and you know they have to stabilize and, and then transport. I take incredible pride in that. I think that's really cool. I think the one thing you can guarantee with emergency medicine is that you are going to walk onto your shift and you're going to be surrounded by awesome people and you definitely are going to learn something and you're definitely going to do something you didn't think you were going to do that day. Um, and that in that is just such an awesome feeling. And you're going to leave there. And even if you're feeling maybe down or something like that, the next day, the same thing is going to happen. You're going to be on with amazing people because I'm sorry, I'm unbiased opinion. All the best people are in emergency medicine. And that goes across the board. Doctors, nurses, techs, like People who like to have fun and like to experience new things and figure stuff out, they go into emergency medicine. So there's no chance that you're going to walk into your shift and just get a run-the-mill day. You're going to do something different. You're going to do something that you weren't expecting. And that is so cool. I would say, do you want to be a desert island doctor? Do you want to be the kind of doctor you would want with you on a desert island? You are going to learn to be a master diagnostician, master resuscitationist, and have that human element in your daily work and really be the social safety net uh, for all of society and have a lot of fun along the way. That would be my elevator pitch. Yeah, I, I would just want to add that if you want to be a part of the coolest group of people that I've ever associated with, this is the place for you. Because there's a lot of cool people in medicine. But we're just, we got the coolest folks. And I just think the most grounded. I just, I've like, I've never met like a great ER doc who's been, you know, cocky. I, I feel like there's a fine line between confidence and, and, and being cocky. And, and I, I feel like all of the, the amazing emergency physicians that, that I aspire to be like, they all realize that there's a part of the job where you just don't know what's going to come through the doors and you're going to learn something new on shift every single time. I and mean, to be able to have that kind of humility and take that forward with your patients, with your care, I think is pretty cool. The one thing I'd like to add, because going off of the desert island thing that Kim was talking about, is that actually before I started residency, I used to think about the zombie apocalypse. And <laughs> That's a better analogy. Yeah, yeah. And I used to think, you know what? I don't have much to offer. And it just seems really tiring. So I'm pretty sure that if it happened, I would let it bite me. It's fine. <laughs> 
you know, I I didn't, I just didn't think it was worth but it. But now that you're an EM doctor, you're like, I ain't getting bit. Yes, no, exactly. Now that I'm an EM doctor, I actually want to survive because I think I could offer something to people. And this is, that's really what I think about. I'm going to gently move away from you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to. <laughs> well, I think I that's probably you. the best way to finish this episode, that if you want to be a doctor for the zombie apocalypse, this is this field for you. So, well, thank you guys so much for hopping on, and we appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thank you. <laughs> well, you made it all the way to the end of the third and final YEM for June 2022. I want to thank Shrey, Kim, and Ranjita for hopping on for this episode talking about why emergency medicine and want to thank you our listener for checking in and sticking around to the end so do not forget we are the official podcast for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians or the ACOAP and we wanted to bring to your attention that they are having a CME event starting in July called the summer series runs every Wednesday in July high yield topics from amazing presenters you won't want to miss it head on over to ACOAP.org today to learn more and to register